Where do you go for the most important conversations in applied behavior analysis? The podcast is your source for insightful content, debate, and insights in the ABA field. Whatever your role, RBT, BCBA, C-suite, family member, or advocate, we'll get you to the heart of the meaningful issues in autism. Podcast is proudly hosted by the Council for Autism Service Providers. We are your hosts, Nagarito, Judith City, Hallie Respondic, Natesh Kumar, and Jonathan Mueller, and this is our podcast. Okay, so Jonathan Mueller, who are you? I am a dad of three amazing kids. I am a husband to my extraordinary wife. Um, I'm a son. Uh, I'm a skier, mountain biker, climber. And I'm co-CEO of Ascend Behavior Partners and Element RCM. And I love serving kids with autism. So, Jonathan, I'd love to give you the title Mr. ABA um, because you are one of the most insightful people in our field. You, Every time I talk to you, you have your finger on the pulse of the industry, um, not just the clinical end, which you you do very well, but also the business operational end of it. Um, I feel like you have such a well-balanced view of both ends of what it takes to really serve the, the children and the adults and the individuals um, that we work with properly. With that said, I'm just interested in knowing how did all, like, how did you get here in the field? Um, I assumed you were BCBA for the longest time. So I'm really <laughs> intrigued to know how you're able to, to be a chameleon in our field. <laughs> You know, not I'm, and I'm not a BCBA. I've always said like, I'm not nearly smart enough to be, and so I think there's a little bit of that imposter syndrome, um, uh, and that combined with falling in love with the field. I, I actually, I was, I was super fortunate that it was almost by happenstance that I got into um, um, into ABA back in over ten years ago, at the end of 2011. But I'll never forget watching a um, a training as I was getting ready to to, to join um, a national ABA provider. Um, but a training I, I saw on this this science applied behavior analysis that could change someone's behavior simply by reshaping their environment. And like my mind was freaking blown knowing that. I mean, I I, it, I think my first reaction was this is like the Force. This is like Jedi going. <laughs> Like shaping the world. And, and I was hooked. Um, and that was well over 10 years ago. And um, what I found is that as I, the more work that I do um, and the more I have a chance to directly see the impact of, of the life-changing services that, that, um, that we provide families and what our science does, um, the more fascinated I get by it. So I just end up asking more questions and trying to absorb all the knowledge that, uh, uh, that I can. And I think it's, we're just, as a field, like we're at a really interesting time. We're very early, even though ABA it, as a science, it has many, many, many decades um, of, of evidence base behind it. As a, having funding sources now that pay for it means that we're in the early stages. So one of the things that I love to do and just trying to understand what will it take if we, if our primary goal is to make kiddos and families living with autism as successful as they can be, what will it take to make providers as successful as we can be? 
and delivering to those life-changing outcomes. And so it's fun for me to look at analogs and other healthcare fields that have been through similar transformations over the years. Um, and it's really fun getting to talk to people and answer that question. Jonathan, I strongly believe that having diverse experiences really brings so much color to finding solution to a problem. Um, and I, I just love talking getting your perspective as an ops person and Natasha's perspective as an ops finance person is so cool to hear both of you um, and other people in our field who are not clinicians ask questions, right? And I feel like you, because of your unique perspective, you're able to ask the right questions that we as clinicians with our heads in the weeds do not see sometimes. So I really appreciate that. So is that what you do, Jonathan? You just talk to a whole bunch of people because you do know a ton of what's going on outside of ABA, but how do you, how do you get that knowledge? I think it starts with being curious, like coming back to this idea. I, I, so I wake up every morning and even on the hardest of days, I say the work that I do, I, I get to serve kids with autism. Like what could be better and or more important uh, in the world than that? Um, and I think um, it was a Jackie Robinson who said, a life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. And think about how profoundly important Jackie Robinson was in integrating Major League Baseball and translate that now to our field and to our teams who are creating this impact for kiddos. And I, um, so as I wake up every morning, I find I just have, you know, as we get answers to things, answers don't usually at least satisfy me. Maybe it's my ADD. I have no idea, but I find it makes me want to ask more questions. Um, and I think um, it, that's also part and parcel of um, what I think makes for a, a good supervisor, coaching manager is getting really good at asking those questions. And so as I've tried to um, hone my craft around asking good questions when it comes to um, supervision and, and leadership over the course of my career, I've gotten really excited asking those same questions of others. And what I find is um, I, when I truly like listen and, and I want it to be a two-way dialogue, like the world opens up to me and, um, and it's extraordinary as, as I get feedback on whether it's from providers or I'm talking to payers or families or um, pediatricians and referral sources. One thing that that's been really cool, and actually me and my co-founder um, have a document called our weekly hypothesis check, is we connect dots. And as we connect dots, and you think about the scientific process, you're continuing, continually making hypotheses, right, around ooh, what, what's going to be the next best way to um, uh, improve quality of our services or to achieve this accreditation or build a continuous improvement culture or to start and ascend leadership academy whatever it might be, as we're connecting dots and then testing a hypothesis and doubling down on what, what works and shedding what doesn't. I don't know. That, it's that, that kind of curiosity, I think, that makes life interesting and it makes it interesting um, being part of our beloved ABA field. For people who um, don't know you, I think I, and I met you five years ago. Your passion is ridiculous. Like, you're so real. And I think for someone, like when I first saw your LinkedIn posts or heard about you and heard your thing, I was like, there's no way this person can exist. Like, this is not real. 
and then you get to know you and your passion is real your care you just truly want to like the genuine people out there which i love about you because it's such a it's such a it's such a not a real thing anymore um and i think you define that so, and one of the things i love about you too with that passion is that you really do care about your employees you built you you care about culture. Those are things that you, if you, anybody's ever heard Jonathan speak, you have to. He's great. I mean, first of all, his voice is amazing. <laughs> it's so soothing. <laughs> I always, I'm always jealous of his podcast voice. I wish I had one. I don't. It's like velvet. Yeah, it's not fair that he has this amazing voice, but uh, I live with it every day of my life. Um, so I'll never be as good as Jonathan. <laughs> uh, but in terms of like, you are the king of culture to me. Like when you get up and talk about it at any conference, or your panels that you do, you're the king culture. Why are you so passionate about that? Like, why is that so important? And why have you made that the fundamental uh, part of your businesses? I think Peter Drucker has this term uh, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And it's become a little bit of a cliche, but I don't think it's said often enough in our field. But I, I believe it is. it is so absolutely true for creating the kind of organization that... Um, at least that I want to be a part of. And one of the things that I've realized, I mean, and there's so many kiddos to be served, which means there's a lot of providers, um, and a lot of new providers, a lot of providers growing really quickly. You can't always have the right or perfect strategy. Um, and so an organization who tries to set a five-year plan and then just just try to execute against that plan without considering other things that are happening, I, I don't know, that, that doesn't feel like the right way to... Um, um, to grow the kind of organization that consistently is meeting the needs of our clients. And to me, the right way to do that is to engage our teams and um, understand from them, look, it's our frontline scheduling coordinators and RBTs and BCBAs and, and everyone else who, who see what's happening on the ground um, in delivering treatment, in submitting reports to payers, in going through audits, whatever it might be. And so I think, building a culture that reinforces that is just freaking good business practice, candidly. The other part of that, um, you know, our field is going to, for many years to come, have this shortage of, um, uh, of qualified BCBAs and RBTs given the diagnostic rates and, and how many kiddos there are to be served. And it feels like success is how we, I mean, not just continue as we grow and serve more kiddos, but recruit more people into the fold. Um, how do we actually like retain them? And those organizations that can be even just 10, 20% better at doing that than other organizations have a phenomenal competitive advantage, not to mention they're going to have way more consistency in providing life-changing services. And we, we all know how hard it is when a family has to go through a transition of team members. So I think retention is the name of the game. And it's um, and that means spending time, and this is intentional time, right? And, and tons of it focusing on um, how we as leaders, how I as a leader can best serve my teams and then create what I like to think of, you know, culture is slippery, this concept of culture. Communities are sticky. And so how do you, how do you create this community that gets stronger as it grows? It, it's simple. At least it's simple to me. It's empowering every single person to own your values, your mission, vision, and to reinforce behaviors in others. 
when they see it because we can't do all that ourselves as leaders and um and that's the way and and it is true we can get stronger cultures <laughs> as we get bigger um if we keep putting our team members first, if we invest time in training and career pathing and development, if, if we're having two-way dialogues, um, if we're helping them to grow and genuinely listening to them. I, I totally agree with you. I think you're on the cutting edge of this. I mean, I emulate a lot of stuff that you teach and talk about because I think as ABA and organizations start to roll up and become a part of other larger organizations, which is the nat natural course of um, business and healthcare, um, culture is so important, and I think sometimes we take those for granted, and I think that's what kind of fails healthcare companies today. So really focusing on that as initiatives is where you need to be, and I think that you're on the right edge on that. So I really appreciate your work in that. I think it's something that every organization should be paying attention to, and if they're not, they won't have that organization going forward, in my opinion. I could not agree more, Nitesh. Um I'm always, and I, I've been on the other end as an RBT. I worked in residential overnights and the whole thing, right? And it's so incredible to me how often I was just flat out mistreated and treated like less than a human when we say we are in a field to serve people. So how are we serving people if you can serve the very people who are helping <laughs> who are helping that mission, right? Um, it's always been kind of an oxymoron to me. Um, but hence your name, Mr. Culture, right? I call you Mr. Culture because you really do have your finger on just the little things we can do and and the big things we need to be thinking about to make sure that we are putting our our staff um, our staff's interest first too. Um, so where where do you feel like you get, let me, re, let me ask that question properly. There is always new, you said, a, you said culture is slippery and that is such a cool way to put it because I've been thinking about that and I've not been able to visualize it, but that helped me visualize it. Um, knowing that culture is sticky and ever evolving, how do you stay in tune with the newest research and what, what the culture is within workplace culture. You know, th there's this um, expression, I think, by Jack Welsh, that when the rate of change externally to an organization is faster than the rate of change internally, that organization will die. And so I think um, it comes back to like, it's, it's not just me needs to stay attuned, but it's helping our teams, my teams, um, understand that our field is rapidly evolving and sometimes in really great ways and sometimes in really challenging ways. Um, and what that means is we just have to get really good internally at doing what? At training ongoing, right? And, um, and, um, and so part of what, um, coming back to answering your question, uh, how do I stay on top of things? So I, leaders are readers um, and I read a ton. Um, and now I have to be careful, right? That I don't just come back to my teams because I've been guilty of this of like, oh, here's the next thing. And oh, let's try this. Let's do something else. I, you know, I'll make my teams puke if we're sprinting during what is a marathon of achieving the, you know, the greatness of the organizations that, 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 that I want to be a part of. Um, so I, uh, but it does feel important. This idea of I'm, I'm, I'm absorbing knowledge. I'm 
trying to create cultures of learning. In fact, I'm hosting a book club on uh, the um, uh, um, uh, Reed Hastings' latest book around culture um, uh, for our organization. We've been doing that for the last few months, but it's creating these learning opportunities and a culture that reinforces learning and continuous improvement. Um, and it's, it's helping to empower people like the rest of my team to want to do that as opposed to saying, oh, well, the latest research or the latest on culture or the, the latest neat gadget or software that addresses it is going to have to come from me. That always works well, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, one other thing I'll say is it, this idea of, I mean, there, there's so many improved tools out there to, um, you know, even over the last few years to improve communication and remote work and, and all of this. And, and one of the things I've had to be really careful of in my career is not falling in love with that next like shiny new gadget mm -hmm. and instead falling in love with the problem. What's the specific problem or pain point that we're trying to solve? Is it how we get a, com a consistent communication calendar up and running? Um, is it doing our, you know, we do um, employee net promoter scores, ENPS quarterly, um, uh, you know, so, what is the problem we're trying to solve? So in this case, how do we get the right pulse and feedback from our team and create two-way dialogue as opposed to just trying to fall in love with that next software um, that purports to solve something? Speaking of solving things, can you tell us about Element RCM? Yeah, so I, um, my business partner and I, um, actually my two co-founders uh, at Element about a year and a half ago, um, we said, let's create a revenue cycle management, which broadly speaking is the billing and insurance and cash collection function um, for healthcare providers. Um, but let's create um, an RCM organization that is a partner to ABA providers, not a vendor. And, um, you know, one of the things across the three of us, we have, um, or my, my two co-founders and I, we've got almost 20 years of experience as ABA owners, operators. And so we've gotten to see it all. We know what it's like to potentially miss payroll and how important cash collection therefore is. Um, we know what it's like to like have to talk a family down off the ledge because their payment, they, 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 they owed way more than they thought they would. Um, and so revenue cycle at best is just this thing that sort of happens in the background. Um, but at worst can literally bankrupt businesses. And I'll give you, for instance, like what we see across the field is 75 cents on the dollar are collected from these life-changing services that are being provided by the 7,000 ABA providers out there. That is 75, only 75% um, of all the money associated with the services delivered are getting collected. That just felt wrong. Wow. And when you combine that, um, that, and by the way, that's if an ABA provider even knows what their collection rate is, but you combine that with then collection velocity, like how long does it take you to go from providing a service to collecting cash in our field, this could be up to 60, 70, 80 days. Guess what? We got to pay our team members every, every two weeks, right? Or monthly. And so, um, there are, this becomes extraordinarily unsustainable and, you know, even for organizations doing it well, it's, it's a distraction. And so I, I think about revenue cycle as something that touches like every facet of an organization. It takes highly specialized skill sets and expertise. And if you're an ABA um, practice owner, 
can you do revenue cycles? Sure, absolutely. You know, as practice owners, we're, we're cursed with competence, right? Which means we, we, we know we can do everything. We've started organizations before. Like, yay, awesome. Guess what? Does that mean you should be doing everything with the organization? Or is it important to think about operating at the highest and best use of your leadership, delivering the best clinical quality, the best outcome and, and, and culture and community to your team members and letting others take that on? So that was the approach that, that we took with Element. Um, so Jonathan, as and we've had several conversations and you've been so impactful in helping me shape my organization. Um, I've learned so much from you, Natesh, um, and Hallie, you too, with EOS. <laughs> um, so as a small provider and as a clinician um, and as somebody who had zero business experience, I just saw a problem and I jumped in two feet, face forward to solve it. As I, as I used to do when, um, in my young days, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, I'm only 37, but you get the joke. Um, the point, um, the point being, it's easy to see this huge immersed need, right? And especially when you have friends or family members, or in my case, cousins who, who are living it and you see how painful it is and how, how it, it just impacts the whole shred of the family, every fiber of it, every single person of family is impacted. And as a clinician, you see that and you just, your clinician heart bleeds and just want to jump in and solve a problem. But that can actually sometimes be worse than the actual problem. Because if you don't know what you're doing, you can end up causing more harm than doing good. And I strongly, strongly believe in staying in your lane. So mm. I have this, I decided very early on to stay in my lane and um, I call it separation of church and state um, because at that point I, I didn't have that experience. Right. So I had to learn and train and make sure that I had it before I started making decisions based off of, um, off of something like revenue cycle management, which again, like you said, can really make or break an organization. So Jonathan, um, as a small business owner and a clinician, um, it's easy to see a problem and want to jump in and solve that problem, right? Because that's, I feel like that's part of my innate nature, right? But not being trained in something and thinking you can do it because it it applies to part of what you're trained in can actually cause more harm than good. And I strongly, strongly believe in um, staying in your lane. So my advice to any small business owner any clinician owner out there, if you do not have a strong business trained partner, please, please, please look into bringing in those resources or getting trained in it or having an expert come in and help you set that up because it can end up, uh, the simplest things can end up frustrating your team and causing um, burnout. These are one of many, many, many lessons I've learned from um, and Jonathan, again, you are Mr. Where is the question? And let's find answers, right? Um, you have started a new podcast for small for business owners in ABA. Um, for the longest time, there's not been a space for us to continuously learn, right? And continuously um, learn from each other and communicate with each other. And I feel like you've created this beautiful community um, that kind of aligns with CASP also. Um, but a space to have ongoing conversation every week. What 
what would you say has been your most insightful lessons from the interviews you've had so far? Maybe a broader reflection of just how many extraordinary people there are in our field trying to do good for kiddos with autism. Um, and separate out all the, the noise and everything else that, that's going on and just, you know, the general chaos of running organizations and, and having, an, you know, a, a new and, and emerging field. Um, and I think that's, that's really struck me. But look, I, um, I am super cognizant that I come from a place where because I was born to certain parents, I was really fortunate to get an extraordinary education. I was born in Japan. They, they, my, my parents were in the foreign service and I got to see like that one service is noble and two, there's this big, wide, beautiful world out there where people look different, speak different languages. And guess what? I'm just super lucky that I happen to be part of that world and I could get the education I could and access to the kinds of, um, you know, communities and friends and resources and, and training and whatnot. And so I think that's created in me like a deep and abiding desire to want to give back. And that's what my, my podcast, uh, Building Better Businesses in ABA, um, and our work together here, mm -hmm. that's what drives me is for all, I like to say I fail more by 11 a.m. than most other people would fail all month. Um, and what I try to do is learn from that. And so from all of my failures over the course of my career, over the course of the last you know 10 years in, in autism and, and everything that I've learned, if I can help others, um, to um to not fail or at least to then learn from my experience then it feels like i've done something worthwhile everything in life to me is about democratizing access um mm -hmm. and, and you name it I, I don't care what it is but democratizing access and in this case it's access to, to resources insights best practices um and what others have learned that feels really important for a field that can be really good at collaboration well, Jonathan, um, obviously this has been an amazing ride working with you on the podcast and all the stuff that we do together is providers. And uh, it was great to kind of get to know you a little bit more on a deeper level. And I just really appreciate all that you do for the field and just working with you every day on these kind of great topics and bringing these things to light. I just want to thank you for all your work and love this journey and continue to work with you. And hopefully I'll get my voice as good as yours one day. <laughs> Keep practicing it, Tej. You better get in front of the mirror. <laughs>